Welcome to It's the ADHD Friendly Podcast, where we talk all things well-being, personal development, and living our best damn ADHD lives at home and at work. My name is Karen McGill. I'm a certified ADHD life coach, and I'm here to help you do life better. Today, I'm talking about something that it was a topic I actually brought up a couple of weeks ago, and I got some feedback on it. But not necessarily the feedback that I would have anticipated. It wasn't negative, but it was the podcast I did on minimalism. And I heard that minimalism felt a little um, inaccessible for some. And I understand that. So today I want to take a second look at the ideas behind clutter and stuff and how it impacts anxiety or how it has impacted my anxiety. This is N equals one, but I think a lot of you are going to relate to all this. And just instead of calling it minimalism, because that, I think, alienates them, then we're going to take a look at it from a different perspective. Because I do think it's going to be healthy to look at not only the development of clutter and what's in your house, but how it gets there and the best way to stop the influx and maybe shed a few things. I want to start off just before I let go of this comment around minimalism. I put a post in a Facebook group, an ADHD-friendly Facebook group, and I asked the group, have you used minimalism as a way to manage your ADHD and anxiety? And I got really like a wide range of comments back. The one that stuck out to me was few people actually said something to the effect of, I can't afford to be a minimalist, which I thought was really interesting because by nature, being a minimalist, you don't buy as much as the average person. But their thought was, I can't afford to get rid of all my stuff and then realize that I did need it after all and then have to replace it all. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. And I could see that as being a roadblock. So today I want to talk about some ways of bringing simplicity or intentional consumption into our life to manage anxiety and to get to know ourselves a little bit better. I'm going to share the practices that I have used that have helped me get a little clearer about what belongs in my house and what doesn't, what I could buy and not buy, and also how it's impacted me. And it has had a tremendous impact on me. I want to talk more, less about minimalism and the labels around that, because I'm sure you're thinking of like sparse places with nothing in it. And to me, that feels cold and unwelcoming. Maybe it feels that way to you too. But that's not actually what I'm talking about at all, because it's not about the acquisition of less necessarily, but it's the acquisition and the cultivation of having what matters and nothing more than that. And my definition of what matters is either something that you love or something that you actually use. And by the way, a sweater in your closet that you haven't worn in three years because it no longer fits, but you love the way it looks, is probably not a good example of either of these things. When I say love, it's something a little bit deeper that like a piece of artwork or something that belonged to your mom who's no longer with you or anything like that, that there's significance. And if you think about it, if you had a space that was only made up of things that are either significant to you emotionally or relevant to you functionally. Wow. Think about that space and think about how you would be in that space and how much more calm your life might be and ordered. When we talk about ADHD, and all of these topics apply to anyone, obviously not just ADHDers, but just a little sidebar, ADHD 
in order to really, what I have learned to manage it well and thrive with it, you've got to externalize so much. Reminders, prompts, ideas, conveniences. So it's hard to build that ADHD-friendly environment when you're starting from a place of just like clutter and physical things that add up to noise because it's hard to see what matters. It's hard to be prompted when your space feels like noise, constant noise. So that's one of the reasons why I think this is such an important topic. And I want to share some ideas that might make the process of moving towards this a little less ominous. Because you might be thinking, I would love to declutter, but I think it just feels like such an overwhelming thing to do. But I found some ways that are just super helpful. So I'm going to share those today. And where I want to start is somewhere I think I failed to mention last time and something I think we failed to mention a lot with decluttering is really taking stock of what we're taking in. Because when you think about everything that comes into your environment, whether that's your home, your car, your office at work, most of the things we bring in ourselves, but it's not even all of us. Like other people bring things into our environment and we get mail and things that we don't ask for. And once you have junk, more junk seems to accumulate. And even on that point, like one thing I learned in environmental psychology that I thought was really interesting is that graffiti starts out with one small piece of graffiti. And if you can't, if like in a city, if a city doesn't take aggressive action to remove graffiti the minute it happens, it will explode into a plethora of graffiti right away because that sort of like things attract things, like attracts alike. So if you have clutter and things on your counter and things on the floor, it attracts more light and more to it without your conscious awareness. So the opposite then is probably true that if you can stay mindful of the things that are on your countertops and on your floor, then you can stay mindful of piles just sort of growing. I don't know about you, but my garage seems to grow stuff. There's just more things in there every day and I'm not the one putting them in there. Here's how I worked to bring some awareness to this. It actually starts with spending and that is obviously not like a holistic view because not everything we bring into our house we bought, but it's a good place to start. What I did, and this was based on a money journey that I was on, I got three months of expenses from my credit card, from my bank statements, from all of those things. And I put them all in one Excel spreadsheet, like I just copied them from the websites and put them into one sheet. We can also print this stuff out if you're more of like a tactile person. And I decided I was going to go through each line item with one of three different colors. The first color was to black out anything that was a necessary purchase that I can't have a feeling about because it's just, it needs to be bought, like my mortgage. And then for the other two remaining type of purchases, it was either something I bought that I wouldn't buy again or something that I bought and I would buy again. And it was based on, you know, did that thing bring me joy, like in the Marie Kondo sense? Or was it useful? Or did I use it? Or what was the expectation I had of that item? Did it fulfill the expectation? Would I actually buy it again? And I went through and I was surprised to see how many things I wouldn't actually buy again. And that if I thought back to when I actually made those purchases or the decisions around purchasing those things, 
there was usually some sort of a misaligned emotion there. Like I was trying to fill a hole. Like even today, when I get stressed, I like to go to Target to walk around. And of course, that always costs me nothing less than $100 because can you go to Target and not buy things? But I know I do this to make myself feel better. And all of those purchases that I bought and would never buy again came from that sense of there was something I was trying, a void I was trying to fill in myself. And the same thing goes for like eating and all the other reasons. We do things to fill these painful voids that are really just feelings that need to be processed. And the problem is that the thing that we consume never fills that void. And it in some ways makes it worse because then we've got to deal with the fact that we now have this thing and we have less money and we've got to reconcile the fact that we haven't solved the problem, but we've created a new one. So that was the exercise I did. It took me a couple hours and I tried to make the best out of the experience. I've said this before with planning. Wine, music, candle, make it an experience and go for it. And don't don't bring shame to it. Go with curiosity and no shame. So don't do this with your significant other. <laughs> do this on your own. And then once you have got that sense of, wow, this is the sort of thing I go to buy when I'm not feeling my best, or this is the sort of thing that's really not adding any value to my life, now you have a good sense of value versus not value. And from there, you can really decide what is it that I can start to optimize and be okay with spending money on? And what is it where I can start to lean into more frugality or less and be intentional about that, like intentionally less for a good reason? That is a powerful exercise, guys. If you can like, take a couple hours and do it, it will be enlightening. So now you have a baseline to work with. The next thing I would recommend, and I have also done this, and it has helped me enormously, either mentally in your head, but better to write it down, is to create a I no longer buy list. There are a lot of things on that list for me that was born from that first exercise I shared. Things like, pardon me, designer shoes that I don't care about designer shoes or expensive things like expensive clothing and stuff like that. Like things with labels and they're expensive because they're from Gucci or anything like that. I've never been one to buy a lot of that stuff anyways, but anytime I have deeply regretted the experience afterwards and I'm not buying it sometimes in the moment to necessarily fill a void. Sometimes I'm out shopping with my girlfriends and these are things that they value. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course I want that Kate Spade wallet because it's so cute and I buy it too. And then I realized that Target sells something almost identical for $10 as opposed to 100 And I've just come to realize that I am highly influential when I'm around other people or if I'm on Instagram, I buy things unconsciously and then I regret it later. So now I have that do not buy list and negates the conversation, like the mental gymnastics you have to go through. Okay, so let's go with that scenario of you're shopping with a friend and you're in Kate Spade and everything's cute and they love Kate Spade and they're going to buy a bunch of stuff because they love that sort of thing. It's important to them and I don't know, they budgeted for it, whatever. You're there and you want to buy something too because Kate Spade is just retail candy. And if you have in your mind that you don't buy designer purses, then you don't have to go through the mental gymnastics of, should I buy this? Should I not? It's, I don't buy expensive purses or I don't buy purses, period. I don't wear a purse. And there's no conversation left. And it's like a vegetarian going into a restaurant 
They don't need to spend a lot of cognitive energy thinking about whether or not they should order the chicken because they don't eat chicken. So there you go. I'll have the veggie burger, please. I hope that makes sense. When you have a do not buy list, you have decided once that you are either for something or not necessarily for, it's not judgment. You're either willing to buy something and spend money on it or you're not. And that just makes it so much easier and simpler. And you let go of all that mental gymnastics and you can appreciate the, the Kate Spade purse that your friend just bought and think it's so cute and be happy for them. But in your heart, that's not something you spend money on because you've got other things that are more important to you and you don't value that, even though you appreciate how cute it is. And you move on with life without the torment, the absolute torment. And stay out of Kate Spade stores because <laughs> they can be dangerous. So that's the second thing I would recommend. And that's a useful thing to have. Very useful. Now, the third thing would be now that you have like an idea of what you value and things that you would buy or you wouldn't buy, now is a good time to turn your attention towards what you already have in your space. And you have awareness and knowledge of what you want in your space and what you don't, because it's going to line up to things that you would buy or not buy, things you value and don't value. And it makes it a lot easier to go through your things and really assess whether or not they're important to you. Another thing that I would recommend is not the Marie Kondo way. Like I have talked about the, my last minimalism episode around messy minimalism, just doing bits and bobs here and there. But you don't even have to do bits and bobs here and there. If you really feel like you need to have a sense of completion, then do a drawer. I Last week, I have two little drawers on either side of my desk, and they were just so like messy. I could barely open them. And I decluttered them. And now it's a joy. Listen to this. That's me opening and closing my clutter-free drawer. There's a junk drawer in my kitchen that I got rid of. 473 unused pair of chopsticks. Clearly, we order too much sushi in this house. And it just, it looks so good. And it felt so good. Like one drawer is a powerful energy shift. Closets too, like one small closet or one shelf. I know that we are probably only going to be in our house that we're in right now for one more year. And then we're going to move again. And we're going to move to a smaller place in a different state. So I know on my do not buy list are things for the house. I'm not buying any more furniture, no more. Not that I buy a ton of furniture. Like we've been here a couple of years now. The places furniture is going to get. But nothing that I would either need to negotiate getting rid of before we move or have to pay for a cross-country move. So it makes things so much simpler. And now, knowing that, yes, we have like a 12-month target around the time that we're going to leave, I know that I can start slow and slowly move things out of the house and not get overwhelmed. Because I do get overwhelmed if I bite off more than I can chew, which is something I generally tend to do. So a good example of this, the other day I drove into my garage, parked the car, and I sat in my car for a few minutes. And my garage has like shelves lining the perimeter. And I was just looking around thinking, wow, I've got a lot of stuff in my garage that I never used. And I thought, what's one thing that when I get out of the car, I can go grab it and put it in the garbage or put it in a donation pile? And I saw these plastic flower containers that you, know, that you buy flowers in, uh, like plants, outdoor plants. And there was a big pile of them. And I don't know why I'm storing these things because I'll never use them. So I just picked them all up and I put them in the recycling bin and a little squirted open me from that. And it felt good. So now I have this ritual that every time I take my car out of the garage and come back into it, I have to pick one thing that I can either donate, sell, 
or ditch. And it, between now and when we leave, my garage is going to look like a million bucks because just little by little, it will be going away. And then I often will just pick little drawers. I do have to tackle my laundry room. So maybe I'll do one cupboard at a time in there. And it's not like my house is like full of junk. Things accumulate behind closed doors. And those are the things that I'm really tackling right now because eventually it will come a day when we're moving. I don't want that overwhelm. I would rather spread all that out over this period of time. And it actually feels really good to get rid of stuff. There's a Goodwill at the bottom of the street. So, you know, I just pile up stuff, put it in the back of my car, drop it off. And it's just like, you can just sigh a sigh of relief. You feel lighter, you feel accomplished, you feel in control of your life. What does all this do? Obviously, you're going to save money. You're going to save money if you're not buying as much stuff and accumulating as much stuff. You're going to save time because you're not taking care of the stuff, updating it, trying to find it because you're constantly losing it and you don't need to worry about it as much. Also, it's going to make procrastination a little easier to overcome. For example, in my office closet, I have not decluttered yet. There's a basket and it's got like all of our tax papers. And I know I need to go through those tax papers. Um, we do an extension every year. So that's already been filed, but I'm going to need to do that. And there's so much clutter in there that the thought of it is just, but I knew, I know, I should say, that if I went ahead and decluttered that closet, the taxes would be far less like overwhelming and I wouldn't procrastinate on them because I would know exactly where they are. I would have a clear set of paperwork that I need to address and it would make the whole thing so much easier. So if procrastination is something you deal with, know that this process will help you grease the wheels in terms of getting yourself moving and know that emotion is motion. Like it's motion begets motion and things that are moving. What is it? The law of physics, things that are in motion stay in motion. Things that are still have a hard time getting in motion. So Start super small. Don't create a big project for yourself. Create a small project for yourself. And another thing that really helps me, I have a coaching group that we meet on Saturday mornings from nine till noon. And everybody's on and says, I'm going to declutter whatever, or I'm going to do whatever. And some people are working on the computer and some people are decluttering some area of their home or going through some stuff. And every half hour we do a check-in so that we ran get random, like randomly distracted. And for that three hours, you get to focus on whatever you want. And you know that there's other people there body doubling with you. If you haven't bought, tried body doubling yet, I highly recommend it. I swear it's like magic. And just a few trusted friends or a, another group of ADHDers, listen, we all get it. And body doubling is a powerful way to stay accountable and stay focused. So that's another thing that really helps me. And I would highly recommend that. Or just to have a girlfriend over. Say, hey, can you come over tonight? Sit on, sit in the kitchen. I'll give you a glass of wine and just watch me declutter my pantry because it needs to get done and I need to stay accountable. It will make it so much easier and that person can just entertain you while you declutter your pantry. So those are my tools for you this week. I think that if you are somebody who is looking to reduce anxiety, reduce overwhelm, and just like the sheer volume of things in your head that you know need to get done, this is a great exercise, starting small and going through your stuff, making yourself aware of what you're bringing in, perhaps without intention, and what you can start saying no to and things that you'll never know, you'll never buy again. And maybe share that with your family as well. Hey, I'm no, no longer buying, I don't know, cat 
toys or not cat toys, but cat memorabilia. Some people think if you like cats, they're going to buy you like a cat pillow and a cat perfume and a cat sweater or sweater with a cat on it. Like sharing the fact that you don't need those things and that maybe you don't like cats anymore, gently tell them that defies that stuff coming back in your house anymore saying I'm no longer into this and I'm no longer buying it and I would just love it if it never came into the house again so that's what I got for you this week I hope it was helpful if it was I would love to hear from you come hang out with me on Instagram or YouTube it's ADHD friendly at either of those places and Facebook it's ADHD friendly there too and it is ADHD friendly and that's all I got for you this week so I'm going to skedaddle but once again thank you for listening And thank you for being here. And I hope this was helpful. And if you have any requests for topics you'd like me to cover, I would love, love, love to hear from you. Find me on Instagram. I'll be there waiting for you. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. For links and resources for this podcast, please visit itsadhdfriendly.com or click the link in the show description. Please also be sure to subscribe so you get automatic updates when new shows are posted. And of course, please do leave us an ADHD-friendly review. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.